kind of take you know what all religions have done and all the evils that religion I'm talking about all religions whether you're talking about Islam or uh, Hinduism or uh, or Christianity you know all of them putting them all into a, a one category as most people or a lot of people tend to do and they'll say oh, look at all the evils that religion is responsible for and so religion is such a, a horrible horrible thing but I think as you've seen in this video uh, and what we're going to be talking about today is that it doesn't have to be. And in fact, if you look back through through history, uh, that the majority of the the good things, the things that we like and and uh, take pleasure in in this world, uh, the church was actually keenly or closely involved in in bringing those things about. And so that's that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. Part of what we're going to be talking about today. Today is officially Back to Church Sunday, and so uh, I, I do want to welcome those of you, especially those of you who are here for the first time. I know some of you are back from uh, from family vacations. Uh, some of you are back from you know just a summer of uh, of fun out in the sun when we actually get sun here in in Washington, right? Uh, maybe some of you are, are uh, you know coming coming back to church today because. You were invited by somebody. Uh, maybe there are some of you who are here because you're just you're willing to give it one more shot, but you really feel like you know you're just waiting for the inevitable to happen, and you don't know exactly how it's going to feel or what's going to happen. But regardless of why you're here this morning, I want to personally welcome you guys. Thank you all for for coming and joining us this morning. One of the primary reasons, and this is for everybody, one of the primary reasons that we celebrate um, Back to Church Sunday is because it's really not that uncommon for people to, uh, for, to, for people to just take a break from church uh, for, for whatever reason and for however long, sometimes for a few weeks, uh, sometimes for a season of life, uh, and, and some people feel like they've just pretty much given up on church altogether. Maybe it's because of bad experiences or, or whatever the case might be, but you know, for some, this might even be the first time that you've come to church, and for others, maybe it's just your first time to church in a long time. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but studies are telling us that young people uh, are, are leaving the church in, in droves. I mean, huge percentages. In fact, uh, studies have shown that approximately 75% of high school graduates stop coming to church when they graduate, and most of those people don't ever come back. Most don't return. So the question that you know, pastors and, and church leaders like, like myself and others, the, the question that we're left asking is, why are so many people leaving the church? I mean, l- let me just start out by being honest, I guess, and say that, you know, I've, I've gone through seasons of life in which I've said, you know, I, I'm, I'm done with the church. I don't want to have any part of that. And, you know, I thought I was done, and I probably, you know, sh- uh, the, the reasons that I had for walking away uh, are, are probably things that I share with people who, uh, other people who have walked away uh, and who have not returned yet. Um, but, you know, some, some leave simply because they've, they've made a change in their lives. You know, maybe you've moved to a new community and you, you can't find a, a church that really works. Or maybe you're working nights, and so you're getting off, at, you know, you're getting off work at, you know, 6 o'clock in the morning, and so coming to church at 10 o'clock, uh, you, you just get out of that routine. Uh, and, and so there's a, there's a life change that results in not coming back to church. Uh, some people uh, may leave because they've seen hypocrisy. That was one of the reasons I left, uh, you know, early in my Christian walk. I, I just I saw some hypocrisy, and uh, maybe I felt kind of judged a little bit. And, uh, you know, maybe some people leave because they're bored with it. Uh, and, and maybe some leave because, 
uh, they feel like they haven't been allowed to really think. You know, there, there are some churches out there, for better or for worse, they kind of have this implied, you know, leave your thinking cap at the door when you come in mentality. And, and for a lot of people, like myself, that was another reason that I, that I stopped coming to church for a season. Uh, that, that doesn't work. That, I can't turn off my thinking cap. I can't just leave it at the door. I'm, I'm constantly scrutinizing and, and being skeptical about, about everything. Um, and, and that's actually why I came back. That's actually why I'm a Christian today. But I'm convinced that the number one reason that people leave the church is because they don't see what difference it really makes. They don't think it really matters. That is the number one reason I think people really leave the church. And so, you know, what happens is you leave and you get this kind of you know, this idea that you, know, you don't need the church. You can just be spiritual on your own. You don't need to be going uh, to church. You don't have to have a connection to a church. But that's the question that I want to focus on this morning. What difference does it make? What difference does the church make? What difference does Jesus make? And if we ask the, que- the question, what difference does the church make? I mean, you saw the video. I mean, literally, uh, the, the, the answers could, could technically be all over the map, and I mean, I mean that in the most literal sense, all over the map, all around the world. Uh, to be truthful about it, uh, though, over the course of history, yeah, the church has, has done some good, but it's also done some bad. We, we don't deny that. Uh, you know, we, we're born with these sinful tendencies, and sometimes we act on them. Uh, even, even the church, even when we shouldn't, even though we should know better, Sometimes we act on those, those impulses from the flesh anyway. But, um, so, so this morning, I'm, I'm going to ask you guys three questions. And I, I really think that how we answer these three questions is not only going to help us gain perspective um, on why we're all here this morning, uh, but hopefully our answers for these three questions will also give us hope for the sort of church we can become and the sort of lives that we can live. So, uh, so three questions. Uh, everybody ready? Pen and pencil ready? Paper ready, everybody? Okay. First question is this. What difference has Jesus made throughout history? What difference has Jesus made throughout history? Now, the consensus among historians is about as close to unanimous as you can possibly hope for when it comes to historians who seem to disagree on just about everything uh, there is to disagree about. I mean, they can, they can disagree about what happened yesterday. Uh, that's historians for you. Uh, they, they disagree on a lot of things, and yet, without much argument, both Christians and non-Christians alike uh, would almost unanimously agree that no person in all of human history has had a greater impact on the world than a man named Jesus Christ. And this man, Jesus Christ, he spent the first 30 years of his life just kind of living in obscurity. We don't know a whole lot about what happened during these 30 years, other than that he was uh, living in a small town, working side by side with his adoptive father, uh, and and he would go on to, to leave a greater mark on history than any person before him and any person since him. It's, near, it's been nearly 2,000 years since he walked the face of the earth. And in spite of all of the attempts around the world by governments and by people, by institutions, what have you, all these attempts to, to silence him, more books have been written about him, more pieces of art have been created about him, more songs have been written and sung about him than anyone else in all of human history. It's not even close. 
It's not even close. This man, Jesus, who was a simple carpenter, who really, he never traveled more than, you know, maybe a couple hundred miles away from his hometown, uh, the town that he was born in. He has impacted literally billions and billions and billions of people in every corner of the world. Rich, young, uh, rich, poor, young, old, educated, uneducated, slave, free, you name it. He has impacted people from every walk of life and from every culture around the world. John Knox said it well when he said, quote, no one else holds or has held the place in the heart of the world as Jesus holds. Other gods have been devoutly worshipped. No other man has been so devoutly loved. End quote. Napoleon. Everybody's heard of Napoleon, right? Great uh, military guy. uh, Did a lot for France. Knew a lot about battle, right? He said, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. End quote. And he went on to say that all great empires have been built on force, something he kind of knew something about, except for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the one empire that was not built by war or by force. It was built on love. Those are the words of Napoleon. Ultimately, it would be the only kingdom to last, right? Kingdoms and empires have come and gone throughout history. I mean, you can trace it back, and you know they, they come, they go, they're, they're gone. Uh, not one has had the longevity nor the impact that Christianity has had on the world, not one. And it's, it's not as though Christianity has had an easy run. Uh, they've faced, faced extreme opposition over the years. Emperors, kings, rulers, and entire societies have tried to extinguish the church, silence the church, destroy the word of God, minimize the impact of this revolution that started with Jesus, and it has never, ever worked. It has never worked. Nobody in history has succeeded. As, uh, as famous Russian novelist uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky, Dostoevsky you've got to be Russian to say that right, I think. Uh, he famously said this. He said, quote, Even those who have renounced Christianity and attack it in the inmost being still follow the Christian ideal. End quote. Even those who hate Christianity follow the ideal of Christianity, he's what he's saying. Uh, even this great, uh, the great writer and professed atheist H.G. Uh, Wells admitted the impact of Jesus when he said, quote, I am a historian, I am not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is the dominant figure in history, end quote. Words from an atheist. There's not a lot of argument about this. Jesus Christ is the most influential person who has ever lived. Now, let's think about that for, for just a moment. I mean, when you think about people who have impacted with their, with their philosophies or with their, their ideologies, um, you know, who comes to mind? Uh, for me, it's, it's uh, SPA. That, those are my, my uh, acronym for remembering. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. Those guys, uh, their, thought, uh, their thought process, their, their philosophy did a lot to impact the world. Well, Socrates and Aristotle taught for about 40 years each, uh, while Plato taught for about 50 years, and Jesus taught for about three years. Three years. Uh, And and yet the influence of Jesus' short three years was without uh, any question, without any doubt, uh, more influential than the combined 130 years of three guys who are, you know, you could argue are the three greatest philosophers of all time. But the difference that Jesus made was much more than just 
philosophical or ideological. The difference that Jesus made in history can be seen in the way that he transformed everyone and everything around him. During his three years of public ministry, he went around humbly. You know, you, you would think that, you know, if, you, if you've got all this influence, you know, you'd have your, your entourage, you know, you've got, got your, 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 your people hanging out with you, you know, you've got a nice form of, uh, of transportation, you probably got a nice house, you're probably raking it in pretty good. No, Jesus went around with almost nothing, just humbly, healing the sick, caring for the, for the poor, loving the unlovable. And looking back, you know, I think we sort of expect these types of things now from, from Jesus' people. But, uh, you know, in Jesus' day, this was pretty culture-shaking. I mean, you, you expect people, you know, if you can care for somebody, you do it. If you can love somebody, you do it. That's what we expect today. But back then, that's not how the culture worked at all. When, when someone was deemed untouchable by society, and there were a lot of categories of people that were deemed untouchable in the, in the first century, Jesus broke through every single one of those social barriers. Jesus was the one who set the example, breaking through social barriers and loving the unlovable, touching the untouchable. But now that we've taken a look at what, uh, what all these famous people in history have said about Jesus, I want us to take a look at what the Bible says about Jesus. So hopefully you've got your Bibles with you. Open to Colossians chapter 1. Um, Paul is describing exactly who Jesus is in his letter to the Colossian church. And he says this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 to the beginning of 15. He says, he, uh, that is God, he's talking about God there. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. Now, what Paul's telling us here is that God has reached down into human history and he has acted in human history by transferring a people from one kingdom to another. He tells us that it's by God's work we're transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of God's only Son. Now, what is this domain of darkness that he's talking about? It's probably pretty obvious. We use uh, darkness as a metaphor for evil in our day and age as well. You know, it's, it's what's all around us. It's uh, the condition of humanity apart from God's redeeming work uh, in our lives and in our world. Uh, we're all sinners. That is, we all do things that are, are wrong, and we know it. Uh, and we're sinners both by nature, that is, we're born with this propensity, and we're, so we're sinners by nature and by, uh, by choice, every single one of us. That is our natural condition. Uh, and we've all done things to violate God's law, and we've all done things which violate our own conscience. That is, we've done things that we knew were wrong. We've done things we knew we shouldn't do. And yeah, we, we did them anyway. We did them anyway. We've, we've uh, done things that we knew were wrong and we did them anyway. But if it were not for God's redeeming work, we would have remained in this domain of darkness that Paul is talking about. But Paul tells us that God redeemed. He purchased. He purchased a people for himself from the domain of darkness and transferred this people to the kingdom of his one and only Son, and that is Jesus. And it's in and through Him, in and through Jesus, so that we have the forgiveness of sins. We, come, we become a part of this people, this people that He has redeemed and forgiven when we surrender our lives to Him, trusting in Him alone for the salvation of our souls. And God, you know, God is obviously invisible. Uh, you know, the, the material universe came into being at one point, so whatever created the universe must have been non-material, must 
must have been invisible, and the Bible verifies he is invisible. But Paul tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. People were able to, to see him. They were able to, to touch him and, and hear him. Uh, and, and I'm sure that sometimes they smelled him because he didn't always have a shower. Well, let's just be honest. Uh, but he, he was tangible. They could see him, hear him, touch him, and his words and his actions were the very words and actions of God. And so Paul continues, writing in uh, the second part of verse 15 to 17. He says, He is, that is, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So yeah, Jesus was, was this great philosopher. He was. He had some, some ideology that was really contagious. Some people liked it. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you, you wouldn't expect anything less from the one who created all things, visible and invisible, would you? Um, but I want you to focus on this. I want you to see what Paul says here. He says that all things were created by him, by Jesus, through him, and for him. All things, material and immaterial, were created by him, through him, and for him. All things. Uh, and from where I'm standing, it looks to me, at least from, from this angle, it looks to me like every single one of you is visible and material. So I want you to catch the implication of that. Every single one of you, whether you believe or not, every single one of you was created by him, through him, and for him. Every single one of us was created for Jesus. And so it's, it's no wonder that he's impacted so many people so profoundly throughout history. I mean, uh, you know, he's not only impacted people, he's impacted in, entire cultures, entire social systems. Uh, for example, did you know that in, in Jesus' day, the average age for a child was eight years old? That, that was when the, the, the average child was expected to die from disease, from starvation, from dehydration, you know, you, you name it, uh, for, for whatever reason. Think about that for a second. Eight years old. Eight years old. Children who were either sick or, or maybe they were illegitimate, they were just cast aside and left to die. There were no orphanages. That, that, that type of thing, that concept didn't even exist in the first century. But Jesus taught his followers by his words and his actions that the children were precious to him. He said, let them come to me. They were precious to him. And that was, that was a, re- a revolutionary, just radical idea uh, even back then. He, he healed children. He gathered them to himself. And he said that unless you come to me like a child, speaking to the adults, unless you come to me like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And the early church uh, you know, the, the late first century church took Jesus' command very seriously and began a movement to, to value and take care of the people that Jesus referred to as the least of these. The people that you, you consider to be unlovable. The people that are considered by society to be untouchable. You're supposed to take care of them because when you're taking care of them, it's as if you're doing it for Jesus. And in fact, by the Middle Ages, the church had developed such a strong reputation for taking care of children that it became a common practice for people who couldn't take care of their own children or, or for whatever reason, didn't want their own children uh, to leave their children on the steps of a local church. That is how uh, orphanages got started. That's, that's how the whole thing got started. The first and largest orphanage system in the world came from this 
belief, this understanding of taking care of the least of these from people who loved Jesus, and because they loved Jesus, they wanted to be like Jesus. In addition to children, Jesus also set an example for human rights uh, for women. For women, I mean, first century, you know, women didn't have a whole lot of rights. They had the the right to, to sit under their husband, and that was about it but not with Jesus, not with Jesus. Jesus came and and set the example for not only women, but all uh, ethnicities and socioeconomic backgrounds, people from all types of walks of life. Uh, From the woman at the well to the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus, through his words, through his teachings, through his actions, he began this revolution of love and freedom that extends to this day. It extends to, the, to this very day. Jesus' impact on human rights was only the beginning. His mark on medicine, education, and art can't be ignored either. Uh, at the Council of Nicaea, which was in the year 325 AD, it was determined by this, this council of Christians that whenever a church was built, a hospital should also be built. How cool is that? Every time you build a church, you should build a hospital. I mean, man. It doesn't get any more charitable uh, than that. This is the same meeting, by the way, the the Council of Nicaea was the same meeting uh, of these early church fathers that expressed the importance of the nature of Jesus as both God and man, uh, and it also established the date of Easter, and and they also established the first um, biblical New Testament canon. Uh, That is, they they decided which books should and shouldn't be in the New Testament. Uh, And so from the beginning, the church realized that part of Jesus' very nature one of his priorities, one of the things he, he valued and really cared a lot about was taking care of your fellow man, taking care of the sick, taking care of the poor. And remember that, that up until this time, up until 325 AD, hospitals were, were primarily reserved for the rich. I mean, if you were sick, you, you were kind of on your own unless you had a lot of money and you could hire a doctor. Uh, but Jesus changed that. Now, most of you probably know that the first book ever printed was a Bible. And uh, when, when that happened, it, it began when the, when the printing press was invented and Bibles were, were suddenly massively produced. That's where you get the Reformation, uh, where they wanted to put the Bible in the people's hands rather than just keeping it in you know, the, the clergy's hands. Uh, and so the people remained kind of biblically illiterate. Uh, but this began a massive wave of education for the masses that up until that time had been unheard of. The vast majority of education for the first 200 years of American history was Christian, including most of the first 100 universities formed. As I said in the video, 100 of the first 110 universities that were founded in America were founded by Christians for Christians. So, uh, yeah, schools like Harvard, Yale, Princeton, William and Mary, these, these very prestigious, very influential schools, they were all originally founded so that young people could seek to love God with all of their heart, soul, and mind. So our first question, what difference has Jesus made throughout history? Can we just say it's a, it's a pretty obvious answer? He's, he's made a huge impact on history. There's, there's really no question about that. Nobody has made a greater, a more positive difference than Jesus in all of human history. But what about today? What about today? 
the impact, uh, you know, some would say that the impact of the church, the impact uh, that, that Jesus' people have in the world has slipped a lot recently and that it's on the decline. And that might be true in some places. I think it's probably true in a lot of Western culture. Um, but what is being done around the world in the name of Jesus is as powerful today and is as impactful today as it's ever been. And that leads us up to our second question, if you're writing these down. Our second question is, what difference does Jesus make in the world today? Well, the difference that Jesus is making today actually started uh, you know, 2,000 years ago when Jesus stood before his disciples and he gave them what we call uh, and what's become known as the Great Commission. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. See, it's kind of you know, human uh, you know, instinct to just kind of stay where we are, to stay grounded, to, to keep to ourselves and, and not do a whole lot. But he said, go and make disciples of all nations, of all nations. And when he said that, I don't think he was just saying, you know, go and tell somebody about me. He, he meant that, but he meant a lot more than just that. You see, to disciple somebody means to train them up to become like someone else. And so Jesus is saying, go out and train up people to be like me, to be Christ-like. For three years, his followers, his disciples had, uh, had followed him around. They'd watched him heal the sick. They'd watched him embrace people who were hurting. They'd watched him express care for, for the untouchables and the unlovables. He fed the poor. And essentially what Jesus was saying in Matthew 28 was, you've watched me for three years, and now it's your turn. Now you are my hands, and you are my feet. So our hands are to become like his hands. Our feet are to become his feet, proverbially speaking, of course. Our actions become his actions and our words, his words. And that's what following Jesus is really all about, becoming more and more and more like Jesus. Christianity is not about anything more than that. That is Christianity in a nutshell. And I think it's when the church stops looking at this goal takes their eyes off of Jesus and focuses on something else, whether that's control or, or power or just getting caught up in the business of the church. It's when things like that happen that we begin to lose our way. Uh, when we make our lives and our ministry about anything other than Jesus, becoming like Jesus ourselves and telling others about Jesus so they can become like him, uh, you know, whether, that be, you know, whether we take our eyes off of uh, Jesus and put it on popularity or power, whatever, that's when people begin to feel disillusioned. And that's when they might be most strongly tempted to walk away from the church. On the other hand, when we realize that we have this incredible privilege of announcing Jesus' kingdom, well, that's different. P people see that as different. Uh, when, we, when we turn our focus from ourselves which is kind of how it naturally is, when we turn our focus from ourselves to Jesus and his mission on earth, that's when things get really, really cool, get really exciting, and people want to be a part of that. I think about uh, somebody like Scott Harrison, who was a Christian who wasn't exactly seeing a whole lot of action in his church. He wasn't real excited about what the church was doing. It was kind of status quo. You know, everything was kind of staying the same. Um, but he was working as a nightclub promoter in Chicago when uh, out of this, this holy frustration, that he had with the church, he decided uh, to, to, to become a, you know, a, a freelance photographer for a nonprofit company. And while he was spending time as a photojournalist in Africa, he learned that 80% of the world's diseases could be traced simply back to bad water. 
the diseases all around the world. It was just because people were drinking bad water. And so he was determined and convicted to do something about it. And so he did what he knew how to do best. He, when he came home, he decided to throw a party. And he told his friends, hey, you know, you guys are all invited. Invite all of your friends. And so what happened is you had 700 people uh, show up. And he charged $20 per person for entrance into this party that he was throwing. And so he used that money. He used that money to dig three wells in Uganda. And these three wells have now turned into more than 3,000. 3,000. And now the organization Charity Water has raised over $95 million for clean water projects all around the world. You guys have probably heard of clean water projects. It's a big thing now. It's, a, it's something that people are familiar with and they're hearing about. It started with this guy. It started with a Christian who said, I want to extend love to these people that nobody else is extending love to. Thousands of lives have been changed and saved as a result of what he did. And hundreds of, uh, of similar projects have, have also sprung up um, following his example. And it all started with a Christian who just said, I want to make a difference for Jesus in the world. When I was living in Arkansas a few years back, uh, Christina and I met a, a young guy who uh, I believe he'd been in the Air Force at one point, and now he was flying into Africa, uh, into dangerous regions of Africa, rescuing people from the human trade, human slavery, uh, market under, underground market. Uh, here's a guy who could have you know, had a bright future making a lot of money, but he chose to do this instead, and he's rescued I don't know how many women, but uh, he, he goes there. He, he was going there when we met him uh, pretty frequently, machine gun and everything, because it was dangerous. He was willing to die to make a difference for Jesus, for Jesus. But that's not all. Christian organizations like World Vision, uh, Compassion International, um, and, and, and tons of others are just hoping to bring hope to, to other people, to millions of other people, to children through their advocacy programs. Red Cross, another one, started by a passionate Christian, somebody who is passionate about Jesus. The YMCA, Salvation Army, Alcoholics Anonymous, these are all groups that were started by Christians who simply wanted to make a difference in the world for Jesus. For Jesus. The whole idea of having public hospitals started with Jesus. Those are, these are things we take for granted. We, and we, uh, you know, of course we have hospitals. We have people who are trained you know, at, at Harvard and Dartmouth and Yale and these places that were founded by Christians for the study of God's word. Christianity has, has had a huge impact in the past that carries on to the present. But why have Christians been so driven to do all this stuff in the name of Jesus? Look at what Paul writes as he continues in his letter to the Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Speaking about Jesus, he said, And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. See, all this action, all this stuff, saving people's lives, showing mercy to people, showing charity to people, it's all driven by a desire to be obedient to Jesus' instruction that his people go out and make disciples. But it's also driven by a desire that stems, I think, partly from this verse, which is to make Jesus preeminent in everything. Make him known. Make him preeminent in everything that you do. And there's a metaphor in the Bible about uh, Jesus' position where, um, where, where he is the head and we're the body. Um, and that's, that's what the church is. That's how the church functions. What, is, what does the body do? 
the body does what your head tells it to do. The head kind of, you know, tells you, okay, there's something over here, so feet, you need to run, uh, or, or you need to go get it, or something like that. You, you, the head directs the course of the body, uh, and, and that's, that's what we're doing. It wants to do the church because we're the body. We want to do what the head wants us to do. So why do people go to such extremes to show the love of Jesus? Because we're the body, and he's the head, and thus we do what he instructed us to do. And I think there's a little bit of a misconception, especially in our culture, that Christianity is shrinking and losing influence around the world. In fact, the opposite is the case. If you, if you, if you don't look at just Western civilization, America and uh, a lot of Europe, uh, if you look at the rest of the world, the church is experiencing massive, massive growth. And according to one recent study, by the year 2050 which is, what, 40, 38 years, 37 years away? Uh, By the year 2050, nearly every continent will grow by hundreds of millions of Christians. In fact, today there are over 300,000 Christian churches in America, and there are about 6 million churches worldwide. And that is a lot of impact. That's a ton of impact. For centuries, kings, kingdoms, entire societies have tried to thwart the growth of the church, but the church has continued to grow. And not just grow, the church has continued to thrive, even in the harshest of conditions, to to, to continue showing the love and the mercy that Jesus taught his followers how to extend. So did Jesus and his church make a difference in the world today. Huge. It's, it's so big, we, we can't really even wrap our minds around it. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, it's easy to, to, to just you know, kind of focus inward and, and forget God's call on us as his church. But today, I just want to remind uh, those of you who come here regularly or go to church regularly that we are a part of a much bigger movement a much bigger movement that cannot be contained. Uh, you know, what often happens is, uh, you know, as, as good things are happening, people try to take the credit on themselves and, and try to, you know, say, you know, take the glory for themselves, like, oh, I built this hospital. You may have built the hospital, but you didn't even come up with the idea of it. And if you would have been living in the first century, it would have been the farthest thing from your mind. You wouldn't have even thought about it. So it's, it's easy to, to say, you know, okay, you know, so-and-so is taking credit for it, but where does it all come from? That's what we have to focus on. Uh, you know, and it's not a new thing, by the way, for people to tie and, try and take the credit on, uh, on themselves. Now, it can be argued that history has always, always tried to contain Jesus, um, to, to build infrastructures kind of around his ideology to a certain extent. Uh, the Romans, for example, they, they built an entire empire around him. Europeans built uh, a culture around him. Americans have built businesses around him. I mean, yeah, it's a sad case. But if you go to Family Christian Bookstore, uh, they're actually not owned and run by Christians. Scary thing. We've tried to build business around him. But Jesus is bigger than that. He's bigger than the categories we might try to put him in. Jesus is not just a man. Jesus is the Son of God. The only one, the only one to have been born of a virgin, to have lived a sinless, perfect life, and to have loved and served and healed like he did. Uh, Nobody else in all of history can compare to Jesus. Nobody else in all of history has done the things that he's done. Nobody else has influenced people who influenced people to do the things that he's done. Uh, There is simply no way to contain him, no way to categorize Jesus. You see, 
We're part of this revolution that's been 2,000 years in the making. It's a revolution of love. It's a revolution of, of hope, peace, and real purpose, lasting purpose. Uh, and so that's why, uh, that, that's, the, that's the impact that the gospel has made all around the world, uh, throughout history and today. So, okay, now we see that, in fact, Jesus has made uh, this amazing difference historically, that he continues to, uh, to make a huge difference around the world through his people. But here's the nagging question that is still left, that one last question, three questions, last one. What difference can Jesus make in my life today? What difference can Jesus make in my life today? Let's take one final look at Paul's letter to the Colossians, verses 19 and 20. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. See, the difference that Jesus can make in your life today, right now, starts with the fact that he alone brings peace between God and humanity. He alone is the mediator between God and man. And that's why Jesus died on a cross. We might say, oh, that's kind of gruesome. I can't believe that Jesus would do that. Um, he, he was taking the wrath of God. He was taking the sin of man upon himself and the wrath of God upon himself uh, in the place of anyone who would simply trust in him, trust in Jesus and submit to him. And we've seen that all of us were made by, through, and for him. And yet he extends this, this invitation. He says this, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, repent and believe in the gospel. It's as simple as that. Repent and believe in the gospel. The, the, the word gospel simply means good news. Uh, the bad news is that every single one of us has sinned. Every single, and when we sin, it, it might seem like it's just against a person. You know, maybe we've lied about somebody or uh, been dishonest towards someone, but it's all ultimately against God and against our fellow man. We've all sinned against our fellow man. The bad news is there's nothing that we can do to undo all the damage that we've done. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's forgiveness because the wage of sin, the penalty of sin, the cost of sin is death. And yet we continue to live. It's by his mercy. So there's a lot of bad news, but the good news is that Jesus offers peace between every single person and God, when a person is willing uh, to, to do what Paul says and willfully surrender our lives to him. Every single one of us here today needs Jesus in a personal, uh, unique way, in a very different way, varies from person to person. And please know that Jesus sees your needs. Jesus sees you right where you are today, exactly how you are. And please know that you cannot clean up your act before you come to him. Isaiah says that the best that we have to offer him is like dirty rags to God. The best that we have to offer. And so we cannot clean up ourselves before we come to him. We have to just trust that he will come to us just as we are. We cannot clean up our acts before we enter into this relationship with Jesus. He's got to be the one to do it. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never even thought about following Jesus, and you're wondering if he can really make a difference in your life. 
You know, maybe you've never realized what an immense impact he made on human history. And by the way, if you, if you doubt it, if you doubt any of the statistics or the stories that I've read, this book is called, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? And I will offer it to anybody who, who wants to read about it or anybody who doubts any of the stuff that we've read about today. Christianity has made a huge impact on history. I'll, I'll just put this right up here, and if you want it, you can come up and take it. It's, it's, it's yours to keep. Uh, and maybe you've never realized that Jesus extends this offer of forgiveness to everyone who will turn from their ways and turn to him and believe in him. Now, maybe you're here for the first time. Maybe you're here for the first time in a long time. Uh, maybe you're just kind of holding on, wondering if you're going to be hurt or disillusioned or, or judged uh, harshly and wrongly by, uh, by church. You know, maybe you're wondering if things can be different in church this time around. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel kind of like an outsider looking in. Um, maybe you did a friend or a family member a favor by showing up with them this morning. Um, but... but and maybe you're wondering if this Christian thing is really for you. Or maybe you want to, you know, you, you like to hear about all these cool things that are happening, um, but you feel like your life is just way too messed up to be a part of all these cool things that are happening around the world in the name of Jesus. Listen, I don't know how you came here this morning. I don't know why you came here this morning. But I do know this. I know that Jesus sees you as you are, and he is ready to make a difference in your life, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, starting today. Today. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. A new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Think about that for a second. The old is gone. The new is is here. Jesus wants to work in our lives to make things right between us and God, and only he can do it. So no matter what you're going through today, this, the Bible tells us that the same power of God that transformed history can transform your life. And that's pretty amazing. No matter what's happening in your life, Jesus can make a difference. He will make a difference. See, Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. That that was what really set his disciples on mission. And yeah, we really do believe that Jesus was dead for three days and that he rose again after three days. And if you you have any doubts or if you're skeptical about that, I'd love to sit down with you for a cup of coffee and talk with you about the historical evidence uh, for it. There is a ton of historical evidence. There are... uh, there are secular historians that believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They don't have an explanation for it. They think there's got to be some kind of natural explanation for it. There's no natural explanation for it. It's supernatural. Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. Uh, and the Bible says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead can be alive in us. And that's the power of the resurrected Jesus in our lives. He can make a difference in us. Can he make a difference in our lives? Absolutely. He, he's Without question, he can. Now, those who come here regularly know that we're about to start uh, operating under a new name. You got a little bit of a, a glimpse or a taste of that this morning, seeing our new sign, you've seen our, our new logo and everything. We're going to be operating as New Beginnings Church. Uh, and that's exactly what Jesus offers. That is exactly what Jesus offers. 
a new beginning. And it's a really exciting time to, to be here and to start getting plugged in and involved here in our church. We're starting our youth ministry back up next week. We're smart, uh, starting small groups, uh, n- not this coming week, but next week. Uh, our women's ministry is getting ready to start up again. We're going to be starting a new sermon series next week, uh, helping us to identify and get rid of the things in our lives that hinder us from, and, and hold us back from becoming more like Jesus That's what Christianity is all about, becoming more like Jesus. And so next week is honestly a great time to come and and find out how you can do that. Today, no matter where you might be on your faith journey, and that's what it is. It's a journey. It's a journey of growing. It's a process of growing. Whether you are an atheist, whether you're a skeptic, or whether you're just ready to live for Jesus. I want, to, I want you to feel welcome here, and I, I definitely want to invite you back here next week, if for no other reason than the fact that I know, I know that Jesus can make a difference in all of our lives by teaching us to be more and more like himself. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that you sent your son to reconcile us to you. God, we could not have even come close to you. We never could have uh, earned your forgiveness, but you made it possible through your Son. And so, Lord, I pray for those who do not know you at this point, that you would draw them to you, Father, that you would draw them to your Son, in order that they may taste the sweetness of eternal life in him. Lord, knowing the, the difference Uh, that your son has made in history. I pray that it would be something that, that, that is compelling to us, something that gets us excited about following you, something that gives us hope and determination to be your hands and to be your feet, to not just settle for the status quo, to not just settle for what's going on, but to be active in this world for you and for your glory. In Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today and keep growing closer to Jesus. Take me deeper.